Welcome to the Oil and Gas Global Network's Legal and Risk Management Podcast with Sarah Stogner, where each weekly episode touches on legal and risk management issues impacting the energy sector. Visit our website at www.oilandgaslegalrisk.com for more information on today's episode, past episodes, and upcoming OGGN events. Today's episode is sponsored by ThoughtTrace, developers of Alley, an artificial intelligence platform that reads and understands energy agreements and contracts to quickly find critical data. Hey, good afternoon. This is Sarah Stogner with the Oil & Gas Legal Risk Management Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by ThoughtTrace, developers of Alley, an artificial intelligence platform that reads and understands energy agreements and contracts to quickly find critical data. ThoughtTrace, let the software do the reading. So today I am joined by Stan Mickle, who's with RX Soil. Stan, you are the Senior VP of Development, right? I am. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, thanks for joining me. And if you can hear people chatting in the background, although our editors are excellent at getting rid of background noise, I am once again crashing at the Midland Country Club, sitting in the bar, not drinking. I am being good and drinking iced tea, so don't worry. But thanks for chatting with me today. You've got some really neat stuff going on with soil remediation, right? And, we do. And those of us that, that are involved in this industry, we were, we were chatting earlier, right, about legacy lawsuits in Louisiana and spills and all that good stuff. And anybody that's ever had to deal with that, I'm sure, has been faced with alternatives of, okay, we've got a spill. Now, what do we do to clean it up, right? That's right. Growing liabilities, claims getting bigger, you know, impacted areas growing. We see the different regulatory issues from state to state and how they change and how they change claims. And so we've come up with some great technology, some great chemistry and biology to keep everything on site, basically eliminating any legacy liability going to the landfill. And so we have some great technology. I'm happy to be here to introduce it to you. Yeah, yeah. So you showed me a a video a little while ago, and it... I don't know if you're willing to share that with other you know, with the, the listeners. If so, you can give me a, co- a link and we can link it to the show notes. Well, you showed me a video earlier, and it actually shows bulldozers, I think, right? And heavy equipment actually moving around soil at a location. But instead of emptying the soil into dump trucks and hauling it away, they're actually mixing in your product, Right. So, How does that work? So this is a great place to start because most people think that in-situ remediation means that people come out and they kind of spray chemical on the ground and then they leave. And in all actuality, we do this, you know, we still excavate the entire impact and we do treat the soil. We put a lot of great technology in the ground and then we put the impacted material right back over the top of the technology and then we use chemistry and biology to you know, take out chlorides, take out sodium, whatever the impacted area is contaminated with, we take those contaminations out of the soil. So we're able to get, you know, closures in multiple different states and that the soil stays right there on site. So even though we still use bulldozers, we still use big, heavy uke trucks and excavators, the furthest we have to move the dirt is about 100 yards. 
And sometimes we're able to collect two or three different spills from neighboring areas, something within a mile or two, and treat everything in one common treatment cell versus driving 45 miles down the road, getting in line, signing manifest, and taking all this stuff to the growing mountains and the growing legacy liabilities from some of these landfills that aren't even up to code and spec right, right. that were built 50 years ago. Yeah, you know, it's I was helping an operator the other day with a master service agreement for spill contractors, right? So that in the event of a spill, you call somebody out and they come and help respond. And we know that under the regulations, there are certain exemptions for oil and gas operations, right? And we could attest that in the event something happens, that it was all part of or derived from oil and gas exploration and production activities. But my position when I was representing that operator was that part of the reason that we're hiring an environmental consultant to come in is for their expertise. And in the master service agreement, they were wanting to waive any type of liability. And their their argument was, well, we'll come in and we'll help you respond. But when we take it to the landfill... It's not. We want to make sure it's not our waste, right, and that it's your waste and that you're responsible for it. And so even those operators that are able to have environmental companies that will come in and respond, I guarantee you <laughs> that in 99% of the cases, right, the operator is still on the hook for, for, that, for those contaminants because they're the ones that produced it. That's right. We see more and more of these older landfills become super fun sites. And some of the larger and even the smaller operators have contributed to these for 50 years. And eventually these things probably will go bad. And so this, there's a good, good time to stop something that you've been contributing to for a long time that's possibly not environmentally sound practice. This is a great opportunity to keep your contaminated material and clean it right on location. Right. And you're not commingling it with other people's. You're not having trucks out on the road. You're having less people touch it, less exposure as it goes down the street. I mean, you know, it's just from a risk management standpoint, from my perspective, if you're able to effectively treat it on site, it's going to be less expensive. You've got less potential for things to go wrong in the process. It, it's really exciting. So. Can you kind of tell me a little bit of the background of the company? And- sure, sure. We started three years ago, and we've had I had a construction background in the golf industry, and so I really understood dirt, regrowth, reclamation, and I really understood drainage. And when you're building a golf course, it's really about where the water's going. Right. And so I had a great background with that and paired up with some great partners, and we formed and co-founded RX Soil. And through working for some, you know, very large underwriters, we're able to provide a service to the small and large operators. And, you know, you mentioned a minute ago about keeping the soil there. Think of the private landowners and the state trust land that don't want foreign soil from some caliche pit. So we're able to keep all their topsoil, all of their soil, clean it right on site. Right, you're not bringing in potential of foreign organisms, invasive species. I mean, there's all kinds of benefits. And so you mentioned working with underwriters. I assume that that means that the insurance companies that are funding, assuming it's sudden and accidental and Mm -hmm. it meets all the requirements of the policy, right, which I'll I'll restrain (laughs) from making a a snide policyholder lawyer comment. But um, so I guess the underwriters have bought in and they, they realize the value here. 
How does that work? So do operators or whoever has an incident, do they call you directly? Do they we report do. it? Do, do the insurance companies bring you in? How, how are you usually involved? We generally work for the operators, but we get paid directly from the insurance company. So operators love that because they're able to take that whole claim, that whole headache, and turn it over to us. We provide a turnkey service from first response to reporting all the way through closure. We do have some great technology on reporting, so we're doing real-time reporting to the regulatory authority, to the operator, and the claims professional. So we're in a very unique position to satisfy all needs of all the parties and show really good transparency and third-party accountability from some of our technology. Wow. And, you know, just the reduction, the carbon footprint reduction from us, you know, some of the sites that we're on, we're saving you know, three and 4,000 dump trucks from getting on lease roads, county roads, yep. sovereign land. And, you know, usually on at the end of a spill, there's usually lease roads to repair, county roads and There is always <laughs> a lease road to repair. <laughs> so, you know, all that goes away as well. And so there's just a lot of benefits. On top of that, our services is typically 5, 10, and sometimes 15, 20% more economical than the old conventional dig and haul. And those old ideas are just not meeting the industry best practice standards these days. There's better technology out there, and it is fantastic technology. And yeah. so we're, and he, a bunch of, we're a bunch of chemical and biological nerds in the oil field. Well, hey, you know what? <laughs> I am Anybody that, that listens to me or follows me on LinkedIn knows that I'm a proud nerd. So, uh, you know, rock it if you love it. And, and, and it really is interesting. You know, it's funny because when I was living in South Florida when I was a kid and we would go to the beach and there was tar balls, right? Like naturally occurring tar balls. And it's funny because in Louisiana after the, the BP spill and everyone was you know, up in arms uh, years and years later about tar balls. I'm like, guys, tar balls happen naturally and bacteria naturally degrades it, right? Oil is a natural product. There are natural organisms out there that... that naturally break this stuff down it just got a lot so much more recognition but yeah i mean it and then i guess the regulators are on board right so how they does are. that work are you having to educate the regulators have they you know how, how does that relationship yep you know i think unfortunately institute remediation companies even you know new founded companies unfortunately they come in on the tail of possibly what we call some bad actors in the spray pray and go away type of deal. People just come in and dump a bunch of chemical on the ground. And fortunately, some of those chemicals raise the constituents and they just don't do. So one of our byproducts, because we put so much technology in the ground and we understand the chemistry behind it, one of our byproducts, our leachate, we actually sell or give back to the operator if there's drilling activities nearby and we put it right into their treated frack pond or they'll go right back down hole with it. I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, the soil is some of the best filter in the world. So usually our leachate comes out, you know, ocean blue and crystal clear. And, you know, we know we, we get a great indication from the leachate of when our soil is already below thresholds. And thresholds from state to state, as you well know, is a big, I mean, here in Texas, you know, produced water is not even regulated. So if there's not a a private property owner that we're trying to satisfy, it's usually the larger operators that just have great environmental stewardship that we're following protocol and it's a great opportunity to save 
lots and lots of money by keeping their stuff on siding, treating it. Yeah, and I think recycling of produced water, soil, I really think that that's the future of the industry because we do scarce resources, right? Yep. So getting a second turn on that water yeah. is a big deal in the state of New Mexico, huge deal here in the Permian. And so the regulators, the operators are seeing that. You know, we we typically sometimes use anywhere from a barrel to two barrels per cubic yard of water. So to get a second turn on that and to go back hole, down hole, or into a treated frac pond, it's like getting the soil clean for free. Right, right. Yeah, and no, it, it's amazing. So if there's there's been an incident, right, and you guys get called out, I'm, obviously I'm not asking you to go into your proprietary technology, but I'm kind of what's – I'm just curious, what's the process? Do you test it? Do you determine exactly what you're dealing with and then customize it for that particular need? Is it something that's just – it's generally – it only uses what it needs kind of thing? I'm just kind of – a little bit more about the technology. Sure. No, that's, that's a great question because as industry and regulatory environment changes, the entire industry changes with that. Uh, just for example, in southeast New Mexico, everybody is – more responding quickly. So instead of this bill sitting there four or five months and now it's grown by 70%, we're trying to get there the day after the spill, the week after the spill, and we're getting it before it gets down to four feet and we're capturing that. So we're minimizing and reducing the amount of impacted soil. The first thing we do is test it. We're getting multiple, we're getting scientific analytical data, we're getting agricultural analytical data, and then internally we're taking sieve data, soil texture reporting. So we understand that soil, what it's going to do, and how it's going to take our chemicals before we get there. So it's kind of why we named ourselves RX. So we have a prescribed, we have a full prescription from start all the way through reclamation before we go. And we have a very, very engineered delivery system. So we're not just opening up the floodgates. We're delivering our proprietary chemicals at the exact same rate that the soil will take it. Not a drop less and not a drop more. And we can predict from the texture in the sieve exactly how much leachate we're going to get and when we're going to get it. Wow. And we've got so much soil data in the library now. As we move from region to region, we have almost a prescription made. So every job that we do... We're getting better and better and have more data to create better analytics. Yeah, to do it better, quicker. That's right. More efficiently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things we, we talked about before we started recording today was that time requirements under, in, under insurance policies, right? And oftentimes when I get involved, unfortunately, it's because a claim has been denied. And a lot of times claims are denied because they're not timely reported to the insurance companies. And so kind of want to take this as a moment for those that are listening as a reminder that if you have an incident and it doesn't matter if you think it's going to be, right? <laughs> right. Report meet, it. Right. You, if you, it doesn't matter if you think that it's going to meet your deductible or your self-insured retention. And what I always advise clients is we call it a border row report. And so you have your HSC guys, your internal HSC guys that are tracking all of your spills for your, you know, your reportable quantities and every, all your environmental reporting that you have to do anyways, you're reporting it. And then what you do is you make sure that every month that border report goes to underwriters. And so you send it to your broker, the broker forwards it to underwriters, and you say, look, we're not making a claim, we're just giving you notice. And what that's doing is, is you're making sure that 
in the event that you have something that you think maybe is going to be a $100,000 incident, that 12 months down the line you realize, oh, no, we're now two or three million. Right. And then it's too late. You haven't reported it. And so any broker should be able to help people out there. Just ask them. Say, hey, if you guys don't have in place a border reporting, if you've got sudden and accidental pollution coverage, you should be doing a monthly report or with whatever deadline your reporting requirement is under your policy to make sure that you don't run into that. Because under Texas law specifically, it is a strict requirement. And the courts, the insurance company can say, it doesn't matter if we were prejudiced at all. If you did not report it within the timeline that's required of the policy, we have absolutely no obligation to pay you. I think that's a great point. They should report every spill, no matter how large, everything within that 30-day reporting and just for precaution, because so many of these spills these days, whether it be regulatory or just a lack of response, waiting for regulatory approval. Right. Waiting for insurance company huh. approval. No trucks available. Right. There's so many service providers are so covered up right now. They've got to get these reporting notices in so they have coverage, even if it, you know, like you said, if it goes over their deductible, it's time to, if they get that monthly reporting in, it's, it's a huge issue. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if people want to learn more, you know, what's your website or email or whatever you want to give to people so that they can find you if they want to chat with you? You bet. It's rxsoil.solutions, rxsoil.solutions. And they can always reach out to me anytime they want to at stan.mickle at rxsoil.solutions. Perfect. Okay. Thanks. You bet. So you have anything, are you going to any trade shows coming up? Is there any... We have several trade shows. I have. I work with so many claims professionals and large underwriters. I have a couple symposiums coming up that we do. And then I'm in Midland just about every other week in Houston, alternating weeks and into Louisiana and then New Mexico and Santa Fe. So I'm just more than happy to stop and show operators, small or large, the spills are, everybody has them. The produce water spills are getting in southeast New Mexico are getting more and more pricey. And the liability that Diggin Hall carries with it, we can help those people a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting and I'm I'm looking forward to kind of following you guys and, and, and the science because I do think that as an industry, you know, we, we talk about we've got to self regulate. We've got to create standards and best practices for ourselves because if we don't the government will do it for us. That's right. And I guarantee you that the government does not know the industry. No. And we do not want them involved in our stuff. We, we can do it a lot better. Right. And, every, it, absolutely. and I just, it, last week I was in New Orleans at the Association of Energy Service Companies conference. And it was this recurring theme of we've got to be better PR people, right? Our industry has got to be better at kind of bragging when we're doing right. And right. so... When you come up with new technology and you come up with best practices, it's like, hey, guys, we can get trucks off the road. We can make the Permian Road safer. We can right, address things in a better way. Let's be open to the technology and, and give, give it a chance to see, like, how can we make ourselves better because You're exactly right. You've even, you've even encouraged me to start posting, putting some data up, helping some of the operators and small operators, the ones that usually kind of get – Kick to the curb and get the get you know have a lack of services available to them, and so I am going to be encouraged to post and you know transfer a lot more material out there and make it more available. So I look forward to 
people watching and listening. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for joining me. You betcha. And for those of you that are still listening, if you don't mind, please remember to go and subscribe to the podcast. If you like us, leave a review. If you don't, don't. No. (laughs) Be honest. I want your feedback. Who do you want to hear from? What do you want to know? You can always go to www.oilandgaslegalrisk.com to download episodes Send me a question, tell me what you want to hear about, and we'll try to get to it. So thanks for chatting with me. You bet. Thanks for having me. If you guys could do me a favor and like, leave a review for this podcast, that's the best way for us to get exposure and let other people discover how much fun we can have reviewing insurance and risk management issues. Mm-hmm.